It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today on Hitting Hard with John Chuck, we have a lot to get into. Hawks get ready for the Miami Heat coming up in game two of their first round playoff series. We'll take a look at that. Plus, you want to know why the Falcons are really struggling? We're going to look back a little bit in time to a recent draft and was too much coverage last night with Freddie and the Dodgers and his return and blah, blah, blah. It just kind of made me nauseous. All that up next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. We welcome you into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, episode 13 on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We are asking you to head over to our YouTube channel. Just look at Locked On Sports Atlanta, head over there and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Excuse me, give us a a review, like us, tell us what you think about the show. And of course, you can uh, check me out on Twitter at JMCH316. Well, let's start with the Atlanta Hawks. We get ready for Hawks and Heat game two coming up tonight. Now, look, it was literally, I I, I heard a, a good saying about this, that Sunday was like a scheduled loss for the Atlanta Hawks, right? After playing two games, to get themselves into the first round of the NBA playoffs and then having to go back on the road, quick turnaround, and you're playing early in the afternoon. Everything set itself up for the fact that the Atlanta Hawks were just not going to find a way to get it done, and they lost 115-91. So what has to change for Atlanta tonight? If the Atlanta Hawks are going to find a way to get a victory, what has to change? So a couple things. We know that Clint Capella is out again for tonight. We know that Lou Williams is out again for tonight. Clint is going to be reevaluated on Friday, and we'll see if, who knows, potentially that when they get back home on Friday, will he be able to play? Supposedly his treatments are going well, and he's kind of ahead of schedule, and I heard from the general manager this morning, listening to him talking about the fact that he's doing well and maybe on the fast track. So we'll get a better reevaluation of him come Friday. But without him, a few things that the Hawks are going to have to look at and get done. Number one is they have to get off to a much better start in this game. They only scored 17 points in the first quarter the other day. And of course, that's going to mean Trey gets off early, Bogey gets off early. There's literally zero chance whatsoever. And and I mean, zero and, and maybe even less than zero that Trey Young and Bogey Bogdanovich go one for 20 and 0 for 11 from three point land. But they have to get off to a better start. It's not that Miami came out and just dominated them from the, right from the beginning. <clears throat> it was only a six point lead after the first quarter, but you got to score more than 17 points on the road. You have to get things going and cranked up. Trey's got to get himself going. The other thing they have to do, you have to hit the shots that are open. And that was one of the big things for me in watching the game the other day is that as tough as Miami's defense was, and as much as they made it difficult for Trey and everybody to get open, when they did have open looks, they couldn't hit them. They couldn't knock down those shots. They've got to find a way to be able to knock some of those shots down. Three, they have to find a way to give some relief to Trey Young. They have to find a way to be able to not allow Miami to collapse and trap on him, whether that's, you know, you start to set some pick and rolls way out uh, for him and and start to get him free, but you're going to have to get more creative. And this is where, you know, this is where we find out about Nate McMillan because 
you know, it's been me personally. I think it's been a mixed bag with Nate McMillan. I think he's done some really good things and they had a great run last year. But I also think that when I hear about defense and intensity and one, two and will and all this kind of stuff that the guy who can control the minutes really didn't do a great job of getting his team ready uh, at, at times. And, and in some of those performances that they had during the regular season, it was just, you know, disastrous uh, for the Atlanta Hawks. So Nate has got to do a better job. He's got to step his game up and find a way to get trade free, find a way to work him around, set some pick and rolls, get some, you know, get some things going for him up higher to where he can get freed up. I don't expect Miami to shoot the ball the way that they did the other night. Uh, literally, they were 18 for 38 from three-point line. So they're 47% from three-point land. Duncan Robinson himself was eight for nine from three, and they shot over 52% from the floor. I don't expect them to shoot the ball as well. So with that, the Hawks have to find a way to make sure that they rebound the basketball. And obviously, without Clint Capella being there and without his presence in the low post, whether that's John Collins, whether that's Gallinari, whether that's a Kongwu, and I'll be curious to see, will John Collins get himself back into the starting lineup tonight? Played 21 minutes, and I, I do think in watching John Collins, I think if Capella hadn't gotten hurt, that Collins probably wouldn't have been back. I think he was pressed into action. And we said this the other day on the show, that I really think that with Capella being hurt, they kind of forced Collins to get himself back in there and get himself back into playing time. So 21 minutes. Maybe he starts uh, tonight, you know, or he plays a big role off the bench, uh, which is probably what I think is going to happen. I think more that he'll come off the bench again and they'll use him and Bogey to really run that second team offense. But they have to be able to rebound the basketball. They only got out rebounded by two. But, you know, you figure that Miami was so lights out shooting the basketball. Let's say that they, you know, instead of 47 percent from three, let's say they come back down and they're 33, 35 percent. Uh, from three-point land. That's going to create a lot of opportunities to rebound the basketball. You got to make sure that you get your hands on it, and you got to make sure that you get that part of the game taken care of. And obviously, that's tougher without Capella, but this is where Kongu and Gallinari and Collins, they have to be a force in all of that. Do I think tonight is must-win for the Atlanta Hawks? No, I don't think it's a must-win game. Would you like to win? Of course. I mean, you'd have obviously like to split Miami, find a way to get it done, and come back here to Atlanta, split 1-1. But I think that the real reality is that the Hawks can go up there or go in there. And if they lose tonight, look, you got to hold court. You got to hold the home court serving, um, you know, it makes game three and four must win for the Hawks then. But the Hawks have certainly had their backs up against the wall in the playoffs over the last couple of years. And certainly the Hawks have found a way to get it done. So I expect a much better effort out of the Atlanta Hawks tonight. But I think that just are a, a few things. I mean, there, there are some of those keys getting off to a quick start making sure that you rebound the basketball, finding a way to get Trey freed up, hitting some of your open shots uh, out there, and just making sure that, you know, you kind of handle and take care of your business early on uh, in the game. And, again, I think Trey Young bounces back with a big night. Trey is always going to be in these in these series, by and large. He's going to be the best or the second-best player, <coughs> excuse me, on the court. And there's no doubt about that in this series, that the best player – on the court uh, is Trey Young. Now he's got to play and act like it. And I, I think you saw tired legs, long road trip. You know, you were up in Cleveland. You had to fly down to Miami. You get in late. You only get a day's rest. You have to turn back around and you have to 
start back up. Well, now the Hawks didn't have to travel. They're playing tonight. They've had a day off. They've had some time to rest and relax. They can shoot around and practice a little bit. Everything kind of sets itself up that I think the Hawks can find a way to get it done uh, tonight. But again, worst case scenario, you lose tonight into Miami. Now you have to come home and you have to make sure that you win on Friday and Sunday. I mean, you have to make sure that you win your next two home games for sure. You can't really afford to be down 3-1 heading back to Miami for any kind of series. So they've got to get it done at home. But certainly tonight is one of those things that if you can find a way to steal a game in Miami, you got to be able to find a way to do it. And I think if you can get off to a quick early start, we know their crowd is sort of fashionably late, right? We know that they are one of those teams that it takes a while for the building to get in, get full. And once they get it going, they, you know, ha- you know, have a pretty good crowd and a pretty good atmosphere out there. But catch them off guard early and see if you can find a way to get a win. So Hawks and Heat tonight coming up at 730. And uh, we'll see if the Hawks can get back on track after uh, what was just a, a disastrous start to the series, but not really a surprise as it was almost sort of a scheduled loss out of all of it. All right, when we come back, we are going to talk about an interesting stat that I saw about the 2017 draft. And I'm going to make you understand why the Falcons are in the position that they're in. It's all next on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Hitting Hard with John Chuckery back with you on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Don't forget, head over to YouTube. We want you to find Locked On Sports Atlanta there and we want you to subscribe. Give us a review. Tell us what you think. You know, if you um, have some comments about the show, leave them there. And of course, you can follow me on my Twitter page. It's at JMCH316. Want to give you a stat <clears throat> about a draft from a few years ago. This is from the 2017, right? You with me? Five years ago. So in the NFL, what happens in five years with a draft class? Well, your first round pick is on his fifth year option. So he's in the final year of his deal. He's in his fifth year option and you're ready to sign him long term. Your other draft picks are <clears throat> in a situation where they're in the first year of their second contract. Now, I know not everybody does it, but you understand what I'm saying. The, the, the theoretical about how this works in the NFL. Listen to these numbers from the 2017 draft. Ready? 30 pro bowlers, 15 all pros. 14 multi-time Pro Bowlers, two Offensive Players of the Year, one Defensive Player of the Year, one MVP. That's from the 2017 draft. Now, you want to know why the Falcons are in the state that they're in? You want to know why the Falcons have a bunch of money and it doesn't mean a whole lot? Let me read you. Of all those great players in the 2017 NFL draft, Let me read you the 2017 draft for the Atlanta Falcons. Tack McKinley in the first round. Duke Riley in the third round. Sean Harlow in the fourth round. DeMonte Casey in the fifth. Brian Hill in the fifth round. And Eric Sobert in the fifth round. Now, what do those six players have in common? Is there any MVPs? Is there any defensive players of the year? Is there any offensive players here? Is there any pro bowlers? Is there any all pros? Are there any two-time or more <coughs> pro bowlers out there? Nope. What they have in common is not a single solitary guy from that draft is on the Falcons roster. And not because they balled out and they did so well. Tack McKinley is barely hanging on in the NFL. Duke Riley, gone. Sean Harlow 
has played two years in the NFL. Demonte KZ, bouncing around. Brian Hill, just about out of the league. Eric Sober, probably making French fries right about now. You want to know why the Atlanta Falcons are in the state that they're in. When you draft like that, in a draft where there's MVPs, players of the year, pro bowlers, all pro, blah, 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 blah. And you draft a bunch of ham and egger bums that not a single guy got a second contract, not a single guy made a Pro Bowl, not a single guy is a all pro, not a single guy is worth giving a second contract to. That's why you're in the state that you're in. Oh, with Matt Ryan's contract and all that. It's so stupid. This team is where it's at, not because of Matt Ryan, not because of their contract, not because you can't play with a $46 million quarterback on your roster. Because everybody, look at the average annual value of the contracts for quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Rodgers is over $50 million. Deshaun Watson's 46. Mahomes is 45. Derek Carr is 40. Stafford's 40. This guy's 40. 40, 40, 40, 40, 40. When you draft Tack McKinley, Duke Riley, Sean Harlow, DeMonte KZ, Brian Hill, and Eric Sober, you have no chance in the NFL. You can't build any, you can't build, not because you have a $46 million quarterback. It's because you drafted all of these ham and eggers. Now, make it, let's make it even worse. Here's the 2018 NFL draft that the Falcons had. Calvin Ridley, who won't be a part of the team this year and probably will end up being traded. Isaiah Oliver, who did sign back with the team for one year and $1.25 million as a second round pick. Deidrin Sanat, gone. Ido Smith, gone. Russell Gage, gone. Foye Olakun, gone. So you have one guy in two drafts that's going to be on your roster for this year. Think about that. 12 guys in two years and one guy is playing for you this year. Not from a decade ago, not from 15 years ago. One guy out of 12 draft picks in the last, in those two years from four and five years ago is on your roster today. And Ridley has a shot to be on the roster next year. The general manager already said that they tried to openly trade him. How are you going to win in the NFL when that's how you draft? And that's why when I hear the whole, oh, Matt Ryan's contract was hamstringing him. No, it's when you don't draft worth a crap, a, an entire draft loaded with pro bowlers, all the, it reminds me of the old, 07 draft, right? Go back to 2007. That was Rich McKay's last draft. We've talked before about the most disastrous year in Falcons history was the 2007 season. Mike's in Leavenworth prison. Bobby Petrina leaves. It just was a disaster on and on and on and on. Well, Rich McKay that year drafted Jamal Anderson, not the running back, but the defensive end out of Arkansas, who barely played football before he got to college. And literally had one of the least productive rookie campaigns I've ever seen in my entire life. In a draft, by the way, where there's all these potential Hall of Famers, Marshawn Lynch was in that draft, Darrell Revis was in that draft, Patrick Willis was that. Go look through that draft and look at all of the guys that the Falcons never got their hands on. You want to know why the Falcons are in the shape that they're in and why they have 
oh, we've got all this cap space. Yeah, because nobody has been good enough to get a second contract to play for your team. Nobody's been good enough to get that kind of money from you. I mean, when I look at the Falcons draft in 2017, <coughs> which is supposed to be really the core of your team right now, you know, when everybody's in their fifth year and, and, you're, and you're putting your fifth year option on your first round pick, a couple of your guys are going to sign long term with you. You have nobody on your roster from just a handful of years ago, from a time when your core should be being put together. And these are the guys that you move forward with. And, and that's why this idea of, you know, well, it'll just be a year or two. Okay. Are you telling me that they're going to draft that much better this year? Because that that's the thing I keep seeing is everybody's like, well, you know, if we have a really good draft here and a really good draft. Okay. When's the last time we had a really good draft with multiple regimes? When? 2008? You know, I, I know a lot of people have faith in Terry Fontenot. And I'm going to have faith in Terry Fontenot, uh, you know, uh, through this draft. But if this draft doesn't produce, I don't want to hear about starters. I don't want to hear about, well, we got some start. No, no. You have to start drafting high caliber, pro bowl, all pro types of players. Okay. You need to go find your Micah Parsons, defensive rookie of the year, first team, all pro. Okay. You need to go find your Tristan Wirfs, first team, all rookie. Second year, he's first team all pro. But when you have a draft where you have six guys that aren't even in or aren't even, excuse me, on your team anymore in a draft that was so loaded with players and has so many pro bowlers and everything else to it, you're not going to win in the NFL. And that has nothing to do with Matt Ryan's contract, has nothing to do with what kind of cap space he takes up. It has everything to do with your evaluation of players and how much it stinks and what little you've gotten out of all of them. All right, uh, when we come back, um, I, I hate to say, but this whole Freddie Freeman thing last night was so far overdone that it completely turned me off to the idea of Freddie Freeman and watching him for the Dodgers and everything like that. I'll, I'll explain all that next. It is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back with you on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Don't forget, head over to your YouTube channel, want you to search Locked On Sports Atlanta, find it, subscribe, give us a review, tell us what you think about the show. Also, follow me on my Twitter page. It is at JMCH316. Last night, the Braves were in Los Angeles as they started a series against the Dodgers, lost 7-4. Now, obviously, before the game started, this was the, not return, but this was the first time that Freddie Freeman and the Atlanta Braves and the Dodgers were all together. And the coverage last night with all of the interviews and video packages and all the stuff online, like my Twitter feed was just overloaded with Freddie stuff. I mean, overloaded. It's look at Charlie running into Dansby's arms. Here's Freddie and Ozzy hugging. Here's Freddie sitting in the clubhouse. <coughs> Here's Freddie in the dugout of the Braves for a couple of on and on and on and on to the point of it was nauseating. Freddie Freeman is the enemy now. He plays for, listen to me, 
He plays for the number one nemesis of the Braves, right? The number one team the Braves will have to fight and scratch and claw to get over will be the Los Angeles Dodgers, okay? So while I understand putting together a video package, couple, two, three minutes long of Freddie and thanking him, the way over the top, all the interviews, he's in the dugout, we're going to sing Kumbaya, we're going to hold hands, let's read poetry, we're hugging, we're touching, we're squeezing, we're fi- it was nauseating. He's the enemy. I'm going to guarantee you that Charlie Finley never had a Reggie Jackson night back in Oakland after he shipped him off to Baltimore and the New York Yankees. And by the way, Google that if you don't know who Charlie Finley and Reggie Jackson are. Freddie's the enemy. And you saw he whacked a home run last night. You don't think he ain't trying to beat your brains in? Of course he is. But instead of focusing on the game, and this is going to get way over the top because they're going to play more games. He's going to come back here to Atlanta, and it's going to be on and over the top and just too much. There comes a point where, okay, we get it. We understand what Freddie meant. He's gone, and he could have been here, and they had, and he had a chance to be an Atlanta Brave, but because he'd never been a free agent and he went and trusted his agents to get something done and thought he'd be back, they screwed the pooch. He didn't take control of it, and now he's a Los Angeles doc. By the way, that was the other stupid comment. Well, you know, he didn't really go back home because he was always an Angels fan and was from that area, so he didn't really go back. What do you mean he didn't go back home? He's playing for a team 40 miles from there. He didn't go to Denver. He didn't go to Seattle. He didn't go to Detroit. He didn't go to Boston. He went 40 miles from where he grew up. How's he not going home? Idiots in the media. But anyway, it just got to be too much. Too much. I understand and appreciate what Freddie Freeman did. But now he's the enemy. He's for the team that is in the crosshairs of the Atlanta Braves. And I know he's going to come back here to Atlanta and get his ring, and we're going to have a ceremony, and in the dugout, and holding hands, and VTRs, and hugging, and Charlie hugging Dansby, and talking to Snit, and hugging enough, enough, we get it, we understand. Freddie has a lasting legacy here, but he's gone. Have a quick two or three minute video package and do what you got to do and then move on. Let's talk about Clayton Kershaw coming off of a 13 strikeout, seven inning, no hit, no walk performance. How are we going to score against him? Let's talk about Anoa. How's he going to get back on track? Can he get some better stuff going? I threw a meatball to Freddie Freeman whacked it out of the ballpark last night for his first home run. You don't think Freddie wasn't thinking, I love to bury those guys? Plunk them. You know what? When he came up again after hitting the home run, I'd have drilled him in his ribs or in his rump and said, here you go, Freddie. Glad to have you back. Go take BP with Ozzy and sit in the dugout and have a seance and light some incense and 
read some poetry. Good God. Like my timeline last night on Twitter was just overloaded with Freddie tributes and videos and everything. He didn't die. It's not like Freddie died and he's dead and gone. He's with the enemy. He switched sides and is playing for the enemy. And that's what the Dodgers are. Call me crazy. Call me old-fashioned. Call me an old guy. I long for the days when you leave us, cool. If you ain't with us, you're against us. And you're against us because you play for the team that is most likely to compete for the Braves for the spot that they want. I'll give you a quick video tribute package and we'll move on and not just overload Twitter and the, the TV with all the interviews and he's hugging this person and he's hugging that person and he's hanging out in the dugout. Go beat his brains in. Go mash him. Plunk him. Whatever. But enough. Enough is enough with all of this. And I hope that this is not going to be the theme for the next couple of nights. But I know one thing, when they get, when the Dodgers come to Atlanta in June or July, whenever it is, and they're going to present them with the ring, there's going to be people crying, there's going to be video tributes, there's going to be seances, there's going to be lighting incense, we're going to hold hands, we're in the dugout, Charlie's running around and hugging Dan. Oh, God. Like, I so am just not excited for Freddie's return to here. And, and again, Freddie's got one thing on his mind, too. He wants to beat your brains out now. He wants to beat your brains out and take it to the Dodgers because he wants to show that he's still one of the great players in Major League Baseball. <clears throat> but it got over the top last night with all of the things that were going on, and it completely took away from how important this series is for the Atlanta Braves. Because right now, after losing 7-4 last night, Braves are 5-7. and seven. They're just kind of lingering along. And while I'm not panicked or concerned about the Braves and there's no reason to be upset, you know, and worry about it because they did make this comeback, you know, last year and all that. But you can't just keep playing down and just think that you can just flip on a switch and everything magically just gets better. Remember last year, you know, that that when the Braves really started playing well was when Freddie Freeman started hitting well. <coughs> when he started really coming on offensively, that's when the fortunes of the Braves really turned it up a notch. Well, Matt Olson has been fantastic for the Atlanta Braves, and he's not been any kind of slouch. I mean, leading the league you know, on base percentage and things like that. Three for four last night, hitting 452 with a 566 on base. But the Braves have to get some things figured out. And, and I hope we're not focusing on Freddie Freeman and Charlie running around and all the video tributes and interviews and hugging and kissing. Let's go beat the brave. Let's go beat the Dodgers' brains out. Don't let Freddie beat you, and figure out a way to get some victories here and get this thing done and going without all the video tributes for hours on end and making me want to throw up. All right, it's been hitting hard with John Chuck. We thank you so much for being part of the show. We uh, want you to go to YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel, check us out there, rate us, review us. Tell us what you think about the show. Also, follow me on my Twitter page at JMCH316, at JMCH316. We'll be back with you tomorrow. It is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. 
Hey Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.